You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have Kamal Obad. He's the uh, CEO and co-founder of Nebula, and the website is nebula.org. So, uh, Kamal, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me about Nebula. Um, the only yeah, Nebula so- I know of is like an outer space, you know, a bunch <laughs> of stars, but uh, what's the premise of the company? Yeah, yeah so so Nebula is, uh, our, our mission is to make genomic data as useful as possible for medical researchers. Um, so we, we were founded uh, about a year and a half ago, and we spun out of George Church's lab at Harvard Medical School. Um, if you know who George Church was, I think you guys may have had him on the podcast before. Yeah, I spoke um, to him. Good guy, uh, yeah. big beard, knows a ton of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Looks a little bit like Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> George is uh, you know, one, one of the, the pioneers, essentially, in genetics, right? So he's been involved with uh, genetic sequencing technology since the beginning from, from the Human Genome Project, you know, all the way to Nebula today. Um, and, and there's been this focus for the past 15, 20 years on let's bring down the cost of whole genome sequencing. And once the cost gets low enough, you know, from billions of dollars for one genome to $1,000 today, we're going to see this, you know, we're going to reach this inflection point where a lot of people get sequenced, a lot of data is generated, data becomes accessible, researchers can do cool things like rational drug design, like like doctors can make mm-hmm. do interesting things like data-driven clinical decisions or personalized medicine. Um, and what, we, what we've seen, you know, in recent years, you know, we hit that $1,000 price point. The price has gone down a ton. We haven't seen a similar increase in adoption. Um, so Nebula was created with the idea that, you know, there's a lot of other issues in genomics today that yeah. are preventing it from, you know, doing the things or being utilized in the ways that it can be by researchers. Um, a lot of data is fragmented. There's huge privacy concerns. Um, a lot of genetic data that's being created today uh, isn't whole, whole genome sequences, right? It's it's SNP chip or genotyping data. Um, a lot of data that's being well, generated tell me, today. Tell, maybe, me, uh, tell, me, tell me about that for a second because I don't think yeah. most people would understand. So, you know, when, when you say sequence the genome, I, I would just assume you'd sequence my entire genome. But um, yeah. services like 23andMe and places like that, they're not doing all that. What are, what are they doing in comparison? Yeah, so there's different ways to, to essentially read a genome. Um, and and the, most people, when you're doing the direct-to-consumer genetic test, it's usually what we call SNP chip or a, a genotyping array. Um, and what this means is you effectively are looking at a very small fraction of your DNA. So usually, you know, a fraction of a percent of your DNA. And you're looking at really the subset of your DNA that we know what it does, right? So if you have an, an, you know, an A here instead of like a, a C or something, we know that that, that variant is meaningful. Um, it has some 
potentially clinical or or, or traits significance. Um, so that that's hmm. typically what what's being done when you do genetic testing, and, that, and that's fine, right? Because it's, it's it's pretty accurate. It it usually is you're testing the most important parts of your genome that we know about today, but it's not right. that great from a researcher's perspective, right? Because we're not generating whole well, because genomes. Because it's uh, it's the known part, and you said it's like one yeah. percent of all the genome. So as the unknown shrinks, as we figure it out, why not have the whole genome so that you can use that data to figure out the rest of it? Otherwise, it's like yeah, exactly. a catch twenty two, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and it makes sense for a direct to consumer product, right? People buy these these sequencing genetic tests essentially because they want to get a report. So why should we test the parts of your genome that we can't give you a report about, right? Because you don't know what they do. Um, which is bad for researchers, though, right? Because researchers want those parts of your genome. They want to study that part. They want to understand how it influences your health, your traits. Um, and, and most of your genome we don't understand today, right? And that's because there, there aren't a lot of whole genome sequences that exist. A lot of people have done SNPchip. You know, I think we have tens of millions of people in the U.S. alone who've done like 23andMe or Ancestry. Um, but that data is isn't providing enough value today. So. Well, you know what would be a good offer is to is to go to those people that already have done that part and say, hey, you know, once it gets cheap enough, hey, come back and do the whole thing, because you know those people have already been willing to do it and aren't scared of it and and you know maybe got some knowledge from it and they'd want to get more. Yeah. So that might be a great population to market to, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, and I know a lot of these direct to consumer companies are they are biobanking samples, right? So they they collect your saliva and they keep it in a fridge somewhere because. That is the goal, right? When sequencing prices get cheap right. enough, um, they will hopefully do whole genome sequencing. But it, it's still tough because the the whole genome isn't useful on its own. You really need it attached to the person, right? You need to understand the person's health. You know, you need to understand the person's medical history, their family's medical history. Once you get a very um, holistic view of that, per holistic and longitudinal view of that person's health over time, then you can start understanding how the genome influences that. That's really the big problem right now in, in genetics. It's very hard to get you know, sizable genomic data sets that's also paired with rich phenotypic and clinical data that actually makes those genomic data sets valuable for, for researchers. So how big are the, uh, are the data pools out there? Does, like, you know, does one institution have a thousand people's sequence and phenotype data and then the yeah. other one has like a hundred? Do you have to like piece them together or what, what's out there right now? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's probably, I think there's a, a couple million people, uh, last time I checked, who've done whole genome sequencing. And the data exists in, in various places. Um, so there's some large data sets. You know, there's Genomics England. Um, there's Genomics Ireland. They have, uh, on the order, I think, of hundreds of thousands of people who've done whole genome sequencing. Right? And they have their medical histories and all that. And this is government, especially government-funded projects. Um, you have UK Biobank. It's not whole genome sequencing, but it's, it's similar. It's exome sequencing. Um, they have half a million people. So there are data sets being generated. And you had Decode uh, around 10 years ago, right? I think they had around 1,500 or 2,500 whole genome sequences with rich clinical data that they paired it with. Um, so there are data sets yeah. out there. But even, even hundreds of thousands, you know, you get into this issue of uh, dimensionality, right? A genome is billions of base pairs. You know, hundreds of thousands of genomes, that still isn't enough. Um, especially when you're looking at, at rare conditions. Like, let's say you want to understand a, a rare form of cancer or a rare disease. You're not going to find hundreds of thousands of genomes that exist for that disease. Um, you'll go to the UK Biobank, you'll go to Genomics England, and, and you'll maybe find a dozen, right? So we've talked to a lot of these pharma companies. That's a big problem they have. When they're talking about doing genetic studies, 
for rare diseases or, or genetic conditions. We're not at the point today when we're talking about, you know, let's get 100,000 genomes of people with, um, you know, this, this, type, this tumor that responded to this drug or, or whatever. Uh, we're really just talking why, about... Why, uh, why do that? Why not focus on the, uh, the common variations instead? Because you're much more likely to sooner get that information. And that would tell you about the mechanisms of genetic change, you know, whatever they may be or affect, and then go on to rarer stuff later. Yeah, I, I think a lot of interest right now is in, you know, when I say I say rare diseases, I you obviously can't see me because it's a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes because they're rare diseases, but they're still affecting, you know, millions of people. Right. Um, hmm. So they're, 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 they're diseases that have, you know, we think have high um, genetic components in them that we don't fully understand. And it's hard yeah. to get. So those, are the, those are the diseases where the genetic data is very valuable. It's very hard to get enough of it. And there's just so many barriers that make it hard to get enough genetic data. Some of it's regulatory. Some of it's even cultural, right? People are scared of getting their genome sequenced. Um, and this has just been a, this has been a, a recurring problem in, in industry um, for researchers, for biopharma. Um, it's just that the data acquisition costs are so, so, uh, so high. Um, that's become a barrier to actually doing large-scale genomic data-driven research. Okay. Um, any mathematical modeling that's been done so you know your benchmarks? Oh, we need, uh, you know, 3.5 million uh, sequences in order to be able to determine X, Y, and Z. Do you know, like, what, what your goals are? That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I, no, not that I know of. Um, I'm, I, it's definitely possible somebody's done something like that. Uh, um, I'm not exactly sure what those numbers are. It's something I need to look up. Um, well, the reason why some... I say it is like, you know, like you're saying, oh, we need more genome sequence and all that. But, you know, if you don't know, like, you know, you'd want to get to a milestone as soon as you could. Let's say the number yeah. was only uh, 220,000 for a particular set of conditions. And, you you know, you want to get there first so you can publicize yeah. that and say, hey, we've got enough data now to look at uh, A, B, and C. You know, but it, Probably yeah. a math, you know, some mathematical modeling would do that for you and to look at various yeah, I things. Think, I think, I think um, you could probably do, do something like that for a lot of use cases, and it would work to give you a ballpark for, for what you need for, you know, statistical significance. Um, yeah. But, you know, a lot of the stuff we're seeing in this space are, are researchers or biopharma paying a ton for genetic data, and they don't have a clear understanding of what the potential ROI is going to be. You know, it's kind of like, it's, an analogy I use a lot is it's kind of like land speculation, right? You go out, you buy a big plot of land, you start digging for gold or digging for oil, and you hope you find something. A lot of the genetic big data plays have kind of been like that, right? Where, you know, you talk to people in industry and, and they say things like, oh, we don't know. We don't know if it was worth it. We don't know what they got out of it. You know, they bought that half a billion dollars in this large genomic data set. Um, right, right. Maybe, maybe they got no return on that investment, right? Um, so a lot of it is in early days where we think researchers, uh, there still isn't a clear sense of how to value these types of data sets. Um, should we just go out there and sequence a ton of people? Um, there are some arguments, you know, there, there are various arguments on this. Some, some researchers, some papers out there that say, you know, at population scale, whole genome sequencing makes sense, right? Because if you whole genome sequence everyone, you're going to be saving healthcare costs in the long long term because there's enough people with you know preventable things you can find out through their genetics um, that you'd be saving. Well, look the at, look at the, I mean, look at what we know already. With we know so little, but yet we found useful information. Yeah, How could we yeah. not benefit from knowing everything in the genome? I mean, it's 
doesn't make yeah. any, you know, it seems to make sense to me. Yeah, it, it seems to make sense, but there's still a lot of debate about it. Um, there's a lot of debate if, if clinical grade, you know, 30x whole genome sequencing at $1,000 is, is worth it to the average patient. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of good arguments that maybe it's not worth it to the average patient. Um, there's, there's a lot of well, even insurance companies. Yeah, I guess as the price of sequencing comes down, if it can get to the $100 mark, or maybe even to the point where it just, you know, it's like a dollar, then it would be yeah. uh, much easier to get tons of data. But question for you now, so there's, there's various pools of genetic data different uh, organizations or governments have. Do they share it? Can you get in there and look at it? You know, do they pseudonymize the data and you can look at it, or are they keeping yeah. it to themselves and not sharing? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, it, it depends on the data set. It depends how the consents were done. Um, so projects like UK Biobank, right, they have Biopharma going in there and mining the data. Um, there was a project not too long ago in Australia um, where they, they tried to publicize, just make publicly available so anyone could download it, a bunch of uh, clinical and, and, and health record data. They put it online, right? But I think within, and this is the question you talked about, you know, do they, do they anonymize the data in some capacity? It's almost, it's so hard to anonymize health data. This, in this Australia case, for instance, this data set became public. And uh, within like two weeks, researchers found out how to trace it back to individuals. And it was a huge fiasco and they had to take the data set down. Oh, but it had, already, it had already been downloaded thousands of times, right? Um, so anonymizing health data is, is very difficult. Um, especially if we're talking about genomic data, since your genome is a unique identifier, right? Um, yeah, I was I was gonna say like you know if someone steals your credit card, you know no big deal, or even your social, if they steal your gene, you know your sequence. What are you gonna do about it? Yeah, screw. Yeah, it's it, it, it's true, and it, it's weird. It, it's it's difficult because you know you can also make the argument that you're you're shedding your genome all over the place, right? If someone really really wants to get your DNA, they're gonna get it. Um, well, sure. I mean, it's like that's like saying. Uh, you know, the totalitarianism is fine. If you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the movie Gattaca, where, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, you're in public, so anything anything about you is, is you know, we have the rights to. But it's, uh, it's, pretty, yeah. it's a pretty dystopian view to think that, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but, but to get to back to your question, yeah, there are, there are data sets that are uh, fairly accessible. You know, there are varying, varying levels of, permissions and, and access control um it's like the uk biobank i mentioned i've referenced a few times is is one that researchers are using today well so you know i apologize i've been running you all over the place here what what is the goal of what are you trying to specifically do you know like what, so, what are your so, goals for this data and what, what do you want to do yeah so we there, there are a few things behind it so like i said our, our goal is you know can we enable medical researchers to to really leverage genomic data to its fullest extent um, and we want to deal, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about what are the barriers today, you know, for researchers, what are the barriers for individuals to share their genomic data? And we came to a few of them. The, the whole sequencing space, especially the direct-to-consumer sequencing space is backwards, right? You're, you're paying you know, 23andMe and these other companies, you're essentially paying them for the privilege of having them resell your data, right? It's like you were paying Facebook $10 a month, but they're still selling your data to advertisers. People would be angry. That's essentially what's happening today. So the economics are, are odd, right? It's, it's a lose-lose situation for everybody except the personal genetic company. Users are giving up their data. Users are having to buy these, these sequencing services. And then on the other end, you have researchers and pharma buying through a middleman, right? They're buying de-identified data. They're, they're, this data has to be HIPAA compliant. There's a lot of ethical concerns. They're typically buying data at a markup, so it's even more expensive. Um, 
and, and another huge issue is that it's sparse, right? We came to the issue earlier that genomic data is only as valuable as the, the context you have around it, right? You need to know the health of the individual, their medical history, et cetera. So with Nebula, we want to build a different platform, a, a really patient or user-owned uh, direct-to-consumer sequencing company where all data is being controlled. You can get sequencing through us. You can upload genetic data through us. You control your data. You control the access to it. If someone wants to use it for research, you're getting directly compensated. You don't have to share genomic data. You can share various types of health data. You can get free sequencing if different researchers come and say you qualify for studies. Um, and we have a long-term relationship with our users, right? They're incentivized to come back, to share more information, to learn more about their whole genome. Uh, and that way we can start building these longitudinal holistic data sets over years as we're tracking people, right? No longer are you just going to swipe a credit card, get a box in the mail, spit in it, get your report two months later and be done. Instead, we're doing whole genome sequencing. We're really emphasizing that in Nebula. So as new papers come out, new research comes out, we're going to give you more and more reporting, get you to come back and share more information. Hmm. And all of this is being done in a way that is revolving around user-owned data. There's no, no backdoor here. We built our platform with a, a ton of different types of uh, encryption technologies to make sure that your data is super secure. We built our platform in such a way that Nebula doesn't have access to your data without your explicit consent. So for instance, if we get subpoenaed or, or, or law enforcement wants to use our database to track someone, we quite literally cannot give them access to the database because there is no backdoor. They have to go through you, through the individual. So we're trying to remove a lot of the barriers that are preventing people from getting whole genome sequencing. One of them is, is being the cost because we're letting researchers pay for that instead. They can pay for people to get sequenced. We're removing a lot of the privacy concerns that individuals have when they have control of their data. We're removing the, the issue of sparse data sets that revolves around genetics, right? Instead of just having a very transactional, you know, swipe a credit card, give someone your genome, answer a few questions. We're building long-term relationships. You can get paid for uploading more data, sharing more information. Researchers can recontact individuals to get them to upload even more information they want. Um, and all of this, all these decisions belong to the patient, right? We're not, we're not a data broker. We're not selling any of the data. Well, you, you did say, though, that pseudonymizing the data is difficult. So is that a big focus of your attention? You know, the sharing is great, but how do you make sure that researchers yeah. get access only to the parts they want and that, uh, you know, the data isn't yeah, so, uh, corruptible? Yeah, so there's a few things we're working on, um, and, and a lot of it revolves around different types of secure compute technologies. So there are ways to do analysis on data without ever exposing the, the plain text data. So these are technologies like um, homomorphic encryption, like secure computation. You can employ some of these to, to allow researchers to run computation on, on these data sets without ever having to see the data sets. So that, that's our long-term hmm. goal, is, is enabling these types of technologies for genomic data. And that way we really remove the privacy concerns. Um, the, the, there, there are limitations, right? Homomorphic encryption is slow. You can only do certain types of operations on, on data sets. Secure computation, right. um, you know, it's, there's questions about how secure things like uh, trusted enclaves or SGX really are. You, people are finding backdoors all the time. So there, there's a lot, of, you know, a lot of work to be done in the future, but that's, that's where we want to go eventually, is a complete full-stack solution for uh, aggregating, collecting health data, and computing on health data that doesn't compromise anybody's privacy. Um, where no one has to see the data, no one can see the data except for the original data owner, who is who is our user. Hmm. Okay. And I, I guess the question to make it even more difficult, unfortunately, is uh, 
Do you know of anyone that's able to sequence the epigenetic effects on the, the genome, methylation, et cetera? Can we see that with, uh, you know, clinical grade uh, or lab grade sequencing? So as far as I know, I don't think you can do that with you know, traditional uh, clinical grade whole genome sequencing. There are ways to sequence the sequence epigenetics, but it's not something we're doing today. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I agree that's, that's something that's super valuable. We want to get into different types of, of omic data, right? We want to get into panobic. We want to start doing proteomic. Um, we want to start doing microbiome. All of this stuff is, is useful data that gives us a better understanding of you know, what factors are influencing people's health and then can eventually lead to better treatments. Well, I don't know if this is a valid theory or not, but I just wonder if uh, epigenetic changes cause changes in the underlying genome. If they do, it's going to make things a lot more complicated, but uh, that's just speculation. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Not, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on epigenetics at all. Um, from what I've heard, I've heard that that's not the case. Um, hmm. that, that'd be a good question to ask George next time he's on your podcast. Yeah, I'll have to have him again, yeah. So where, where are you at with your uh, rollout? Are you at the point where you're asking now for people's uh, data, or is, it, uh, is this a new yeah. initiative? Like, how far along are you? Yeah, so we launched almost three months ago. Um, I think in two days it'll be three months, on the 15th. We launched November 15th. Um, so we, we, we launched our first product, which is a, a low-path whole genome sequencing kit that people can just buy. Um, we, we haven't yet launched a interface for researchers. Um, so this is coming up next, you know, how can researchers compute, run queries on this mm. data? Our, our first goal is really aggregating enough data that it's actually useful to researchers. So our platform lets right. people do a few things. One, you can, you know, you can get new sequencing through us. You can just pay for it and you can get whole genome sequencing. Um, two, you can upload pre-existing genetic data. So let's say you've done, you know, you've gone to another personal genomics company and you've done some form of genetic testing, whether it's SNP chip or whole genome sequencing. You can download that data, which they, they legally have to let you download, and then you can re-upload it to our platform. Or three, the third option right now is you can just sign up. You, know, you can just answer questions, earn rewards for answering questions, um, health-related questions, and then we'll match you with researchers if you qualify for studies. So we're working with some pharma right now um, for some, some essentially pilots uh, for, for studies they want to recruit for. Um, and if you match with a researcher, you will have the opportunity to get the sequencing for free. Hmm. Okay. Well, excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so we're rolling what, what's out. What's your goals over the next, uh, you know, year or so? Where do you want to get to in terms of number of sequences or number of yeah. studies? Or, I mean, we know, want, what are you looking at there? Uh, we want to be in the hundreds of thousands of, of genomes um, by the end of this year. Uh, so that's, that's our goal. Um, and, and when I say hundreds of thousands of genomes, I mean hundreds of thousands of, of newly sequenced whole genomes that we're providing through through our platform. Um, so our goal is that the 2019 is, is really for us is, is a year of growth, right? It's, it's getting to that critical mass where we have enough users in the platform that are voluntarily um, or, or choosing to, to share data that researchers are finally able to start doing interesting things with the data sets. Um, so that's, that's where we want to get in 2019. We're rolling out a few other products throughout the year um, that'll hopefully drive more users to us. We have different types of sequencing. Right now it's low pass whole genome sequencing, which is, it is not, it's cheaper. It's around a hundred bucks, um, but it's not clinically relevant. Um, so we're going to start hmm. launching some clinically relevant products like clinical grade whole genome sequencing um, and some cheaper versions of that as well throughout the year. So for people who more want to do 
uh, want to learn more about their health than just infotainment that you get normally from personal genetics, um, they can do so. Uh, we're also working, we're working with a lot of nonprofits and, and rare disease groups. We, we don't want to get in the trap. You know, a lot of people who have done, like I mentioned earlier, the, the most valuable data, or the more u- most useful data is data from people who do have rare genetic conditions. So those are the genomes that researchers are really interested in analyzing um, and that they can derive a lot of value from. So we're working on doing, we're working on projects with a bunch of different rare disease groups and patient advocates um, to help them build platforms where they can securely and privately share genomic data, which is a huge pain point for a lot of patients in, in rare disease communities. Um, they're, they're the ones who are most, their data is the most sensitive, right? They don't want it to get in the wrong hands. Um, they don't want to end up mm. with an insurer or an employer, um, but we still want to incentivize them to to share the data in a way that's responsible and ethical and helps helps drive forward uh, medicine and, and therapeutics and, and sort of the disease that they're suffering from. Yes. Okay. Well, well, very good. What's the best way to uh, get in touch with you, Kamal, and to ask questions and suggest collaborations and all that stuff? Yeah. So people can come to our site, uh, nebula.org. Um, if you want to partner with us. Uh, you can reach out to partners at nebula.org. Um, mm. People are also always welcome to reach out directly to me. I'm at Kamal at nebula.org. Um, we're, we're really looking to work with people who can um, help us drive, drive user growth, right? Help us um, increase the, the, the data that we're, we're generating on the platform. So these are different types of distribution partners. Um, where we're very interested in working with people who can help us increase the type of analysis or improve the type of analysis and reporting we're doing on the website. So we're launching our reporting in a couple of weeks, which is for all the people who've been sequencing through us so far, they'll now get these, these, these big reports, which we hope are, are very compelling. Um, how can we improve those, generate more valuable insights, especially when we get to clinical grade products? Um, this is all stuff we're interested in talking to people about and working with them on. Okay. Well, very good. Well, come on. Thank you for coming on and I appreciate it. And uh, I hope you end up with tens of millions of genomes that, uh, you know, <laughs> Then can be used by researchers because it's a, it's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I appreciate that. Of, thanks, thanks, thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.